Thanks, Courtney. Right. Good morning. My name is Adam Casel. I'm the vision and administration pastor here on staff. Um, as we've been doing through through this series in the Songs of Ascents, um, we're going to read the psalm together this morning. So if you're able to do so, I invite you to stand. We're going to read Psalm 127 together. And as when I get to when we get to the end, I'm going to say, "This is the word of the Lord," and you get to respond with, "Thanks be to God." Okay. So Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Amen. Yeah, have a seat. As uh, Courtney was mentioning the different generations, I, I realize this is going to date me a little bit, but I don't know if you remember VH1. Is, is that still a channel? I don't even know. I don't have cable anymore. But they had a, a weekly live concert called Storytellers. I loved watching that because the artists, the, the, the groups, would share the different stories behind what inspired them to write the song. I love hearing that, whether uh, a musician, an author, uh, a script writer. I, wanna, I want to hear what inspired this story that, that came about. I found it really funny last week that Ian mentioned he's a bonus features guy. When he watches the DVD, he watches the bonus features. I never do, because I want to suspend belief for a little while and, and think, that's, that's, that's real. What I'm watching, when I watch the Lord of the Rings, I want to believe for 10 to 20 hours that Middle Earth is real. When I watch uh, MCU movies, I want to believe, no, there's real superheroes. There's, it's not green screen and CGI. Right? I share all that because I want to know when this psalm was written. All right? This psalm is either by Solomon or it's attributed to King Solomon. The, the Hebrew preposition before his name can mean either one. It's either to Solomon or, or about Solomon. Regardless, I had the same intrigue. Was this written sort of at the beginning of Solomon's life or at the end? So as we go through this psalm together, I'm going to assume that Solomon is the one who wrote this. And so what, kind of the question I have is, did he have the wisdom to look ahead early as, as a king, to be able to look ahead and, and write this psalm? Or, on a, on a sadder note, is, did he write this at the end of his life? Did he look back and have a sense of, of grief and loss because he, he missed an opportunity? The reason I say that is uh, in Solomon's life, we see that he accomplished a lot 
wrote many proverbs and, and songs and other poems. He, he was a botanist. Um, he, yeah, he, he was. <laughs> Surprise, he was? Yes, he was a botanist. He wrote about plants, right? Uh, but he, you know, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I'm sure lots of kids off of that. All right? And his son, during his son's reign, the nation of Israel was divided. And so I, th- I think that gives him some indication. There, there's something there that just has me intrigued. When was this psalm written? So before we go any further in the psalm, I want to remind us we're in a series called The Songs of Ascents. We've taken a three-week hiatus. Uh, two of those were planned. One was not. But we are now back in the Songs of Ascents. As a reminder, these are pilgrimage songs that were sung or recited as the faithful Israelites three times a year, wherever they were in the land, would travel to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, to celebrate holy days or holidays uh, and, and festivals and, again, worship the Lord. And these psalms, they, they cover the whole gamut of emotions. They encourage us that as we come to the Lord, we bring our full selves to him in worship and in community with others. The main takeaway that I want us to have this morning is that this psalm is about the gifts of God's provision. The psalm is about the gifts of God's provision. And there's two gifts this morning that we see in this psalm that represent God's provision. One that I'm calling the conditional gift and the other, the unconditional gift. Now, before we look at these, I do not think that the psalm is putting these two gifts in opposition to one another, but there's a tension. There's a tension between these two gifts, this conditional gift and unconditional gift. So again, Verses 1 and 2 look at the conditional gift of God's provision. The translation that, uh, that I read from is the Christian Standard Bible. And it starts with the word unless. Because in the Hebrew, it's, there's a, a conditional word of, that could be translated as if or unless. And the author goes on to say, unless the Lord builds a house or watches over a city... The human does it in vain. The builder, the watchman does so in vain. This word for vain is not the same one that we find in Ecclesiastes. If you have a translation of, in Ecclesiastes where it says vanity of vanities, that word is, is better understood as smoke in Ecclesiastes. Here, it's about being ineffective. So the word vain, think ineffective. And that's important because a person can build a house or watch over a city. Good, those are good things. And they can do so without Yahweh. But the author is saying it's ineffective. Now, this is not showing a let go and let God mindset. Right? It's, it's not a, hey, don't worry about it because God's doing it. Rather, it's about partnership with the Lord. That as you build the house, as you watch over the city, do so 
with the Lord. It's this idea of as you build the house or, or watch over the city, do so with all that you have access to and ask the Lord to do it with you. Ask him to bless your efforts to accomplish beyond what you are able in yourself. Ask, this is asking the Lord to bring awareness to what you need to focus on or to heighten our senses. Going with the idea of the builder, a builder needs to know that they're working with proper quality materials and that they're properly installed. Just think of the, the heartache, the pain, the money, the time that a builder could save if he or she notices something's not done correctly and fixes it and does it correctly. A watchman would stay up through part of or all of the night watching out over the city. And so the watchman needs to know is, is what I'm hearing, is that a normal sound in the night or is that drawing awareness that there's a threat or that somebody's in trouble? Or as often happens in the dark, our mind kind of plays tricks on us. And so as, it look, as the watchman looks out, is he seeing an animal, an optical illusion, or a threat to the city. So that's the idea of partnering with the Lord in, in what we're doing, asking him to draw awareness uh, to what we should be noticing and heightening our senses. To the, for those of you who know Nancy Steffler, Nancy, a few weeks ago, sent me this YouTube video. Um, it's an interview of Chris Valatin with a guy named Jamie Winship. And I highly encourage you to look this up. We'll, we'll put the title on the screen. Um, if you search, When God Steps into the World of Solving Crimes. Yeah, so this Jamie uh, has been in, um, been in law enforcement various ways throughout his life. And when he was a brand new police officer, early 20s, he was also a young believer. And he had this wild, harebrained idea that God might have something to say about the way he did his work. And then he was crazy enough to say, well, I'm going to pray and ask God, what should I be paying attention to when I go about my job? Because not long into being a police officer, he realized he'd been trained in law enforcement, and he wanted to know how to serve and protect. And so he started asking God to teach him how to serve and protect. And so he would spend time in his shift asking, asking the Lord, what does he need to, to do? What does he need to pay attention to? And he'd just start writing down whatever came to his mind. Well, after some time, um, he was a part of breaking up uh, the mafia. He was in the Pacific Northwest, and there was a mafia presence. He helped kind of break that up. Illegal gambling rings uh, were, were going away. Gang wars were ending, and he had, he had a role in that <laughs> because he would get somebody kind of connected, and he'd, he'd just start following the promptings of the Lord and asking him questions, and eventually he'd lead people to Jesus. And then they just start confessing because the Holy Spirit's really good at repentance and confession and wants to just get it clean. And so he'd, they just start naming names. I mean, they'd spill their guts. So eventually his commanding officer calls him in and says, what are you doing? Like, why are you so effective? And Jamie hems and haws, and he goes, I can't really tell you. 
because you're not going to like it. He's like, well, I pray. And then when I have opportunities, I tell them about Jesus. <laughs> Can't exactly put that in the training manual for the police department. <laughs> but he was watching over the city with the Lord's watchful eye. And he was much more effective. That's what it looks like, partnering with the Lord. So wherever the Lord has called you vocationally, he wants to do the same thing with and through you. I know of a guy uh, named Jim, and Jim used to work at Procter & Gamble. And like uh, a lot of big corporations, um, high self-defense culture. And so in meetings, a lot of times, there's be uh, arguing over why something didn't work out or you know, defending their position. And Jim's a believer, and he felt the Lord leading him to just be quiet. Just sit in the meeting and be quiet. And so he's, he'd be in these meetings just sitting in his chair, quietly listening to everybody else, not jumping in uh, to the arguing and watching it all happen around him. And that started freaking people out. So afterwards, they'd grab him after the meeting, Jim, what do you know? It's like, what do you mean? Why are you so quiet? What's going on? What do you know that we don't know? And so Jim would just tell, start telling him about Jesus to see who was open to hearing uh, more about Jesus. He was, Jim was more interested in partnering with the Lord than engaging in this high self-defense culture. So verse 1 talks about it's ineffective to build a house or to watch over the city unless the Lord's doing it. Verse 2 says that it's ineffective to stay up late and get up early. I know a number of you uh, pray for us regularly, and we Greatly appreciate that. I've got a few people that I will reach out to and share uh, some prayer requests. And, and one of them responded saying, I've, I've always liked this psalm because it talks about how it's vain to get up early. It's like, well, stay up late and get up early. But that's all right. Now, notice there's no conditional statement in this verse. It's not saying unless the Lord is your caffeine or adrenaline, it's vain to stay up late and get up early, or, or some other historically appropriate stimulant. No, period. It's vain to get up early and to stay up late. Don't burn the candle at both ends, is what Solomon's saying here. I'm going to be honest, this offends me. I want to get as little sleep as possible. Like, that's why I figure out, like, okay, if I can get seven hours, I'm good. That's all I, that's all I need. And all the parents of young children wish they could claim this as a promise over their kids. Like, I declare it is vain for you to stay up late and get up early. Right? Sorry. This verse is a reminder that we are not our provision. And our work is not our provision. The Lord is our provision. So personally, as one who's rarely nostalgic, it's easy for me to, to see how we can romanticize the past. Right? Oftentimes we hear people say, oh, before they had electricity, they would go to bed when the sun went down and they, they would get up when, when the sun rose. Well, maybe for most people, but apparently enough people, this was not true. 
enough to where it was beneficial to write it in the scriptures. It's vain to stay up late and get up early. So it's not uniquely American to think that the longer we work or the harder we work, the more it will pay off. It's a reminder that there's an insidious tyrant called someday. It's a tyrant that promises the world and never delivers. Someday, I'll be able to slow down and enjoy what I have. Someday, I'll be promoted to the head of, division, of the division, and then I won't have to work so much. Someday, I'll finally be at a place financially where I'll be satisfied. You don't have to raise your hands. Just answer this for yourself. Who's ever reached someday? Because oftentimes when we reach a someday promise, a new, better, more satisfying one comes our way. And then we say, actually, that is what will make me happy. That's when I'll be satisfied. That's when I can slow down. And if we're not mindful, it'll continue till our final breath. Now, this verse doesn't only give us an admonition, but it gives us an encouragement. Again, the, the Christian Standard Bible translates the end of this verse as he gives sleep to the one he loves. And so some of you are saying, yes, Lord, more. And that's all right. You give to the one you love. You give sleep to the one you love. I'm believing for that. However, Jewish translations do something along the lines of he provides for his beloved even when they sleep. And I think that is more con consistent with the admonition here that Solomon gives about staying up late and getting up early, not working this unhealthy amount, because God's going to provide for us even when we sleep. This sounds a lot like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Consider the birds of the air. They don't work, and your Father in heaven provides all that they need. We don't have to work incessantly because the Lord can provide for us even while we sleep. Now, before I shift from the, the conditional gift to the unconditional gift, one final thought. While the Bible uniquely speaks positively about work, again, there, there's these conditional statements. As a reminder, if we're not working for the, with the Lord, our work is ineffective. And there's also a great temptation to make a name for ourselves through our work and to think that that is what gets remembered and that is the way that we make a difference in the world. Hear me out. Work is incredibly important. It's a, it's a gift from God. But it's so easy to overemphasize what it does for us and in the world. Again, the Lord is our provision. And this psalm is, is challenging this idea around making a name for ourselves through work. And as we go from 
verses 2 to 3, there's, again, this shift from the conditional gift of work as God's provision to the unconditional gift of children as God's provision. So, as a reminder, these psalms were likely sung and recited while on a long trip. (laughs) On a long trip from wherever they lived to their home. I don't know for sure, but I can't help but wonder. Is this just kind of a reminder? Like, hey, parents, kids are a heritage, offspring of reward. Like, I can see dads rubbing their temples, just reciting this verse to themselves over and over. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. If you have kids or you work with kids, you've been there. Just as work is spoken of uniquely, so are children in the family unit spoken of uniquely in the scriptures. These words of heritage and reward, they're extravagant words. This this isn't some tiny gift. The, The word heritage is often talked about the land. The land is a heritage for the people of Israel. The Lord is Israel's heritage. And God says that Israel is his heritage. So this this is a big deal to call children a heritage. Reward is actually better, probably it's a free gift. Your offspring are a free gift from the Lord. So as Solomon compares children to arrows uh, in the hand of a warrior, I don't think he's saying kids are like weapons of warfare. <laughs> Rather, I think he's saying that fathers are like happy warriors. Right? He says that they're, they're happy, they're blessed. That word can be translated either way. It's the same in, in Psalm 1 where it talks about happy is the person who doesn't delight in the ways of wickedness but they delight in the law of the Lord. When uh, my wife and I found out we were pregnant with our daughter, um, who's our fifth child, and we shared it with some people, one of the women in there said that, a, that five arrows is considered a full quiver. I've not been able to, to uh, substantiate that, but it sounds good to me, so I'm going to say she's correct. But then Solomon says something about the city gates, right? What's what's he talking about here? Now, I don't think that this is the reason that a father is happy, this idea of not being put to shame at the city gates, but it's a benefit. So again, Solomon says that that a father who has a, a quiver full of arrows will never be put to shame when his enemy opposes him at the city gates. Now, the city gates, they were the ancient courthouse. That's where all trials and disputes were heard and settled. The elders of the city would decide on a dispute between two people or if somebody was actually guilty of a crime they've been accused of. 
a number of weeks ago when I spoke on Psalm 120, I, I mentioned how our brains do this thing when we're in conflict with somebody, we treat that conflict in the same way as if that person is our enemy. Right? Our, our minds, our brains can't differentiate uh, whether this person that I'm in conflict with is actually somebody I love and we're just having a moment of conflict or an actual enemy. And so here's where I think this could play out. Imagine there were two men during this time, one named Simeon, the other named Levi. Levi loans Simeon his cow, one of his ox, oxen. And while the cow is with Simeon, it dies. So Levi says, you owe me another ox or money? And Simeon says, listen, I didn't even use the, cow, the ox, and it died. It just died. It was older. There was something wrong with it. So there's this dispute, and they bring it to the city elders. And, uh, and Levi says, I loaned him one of my oxen. It died under his care. He owes me for it. And Simeon brings his children with him. And he says, you know me. You know my kids, my sons, my daughters. I'm telling you, I did nothing wrong. And the elders turn to Levi. They say, we know this man. We know his kids. We have to believe him. Sorry for your loss. You got to pay for it on your own. I th we, we do this today with families, especially if we, we know somebody. We say, this is so-and-so's parents. Right? Oh, my gosh, you raised him or her? Right? And we, we just we fawn over how great their son or daughter is. I think that's a way of celebrating at the city gates. I shouldn't be doing this. It's not very shrewd, but I'm going to give somebody the ultimate trump card. Now, Randy and I have had great working relationship. We've had minimal disagreements. We've been able to work through them quite quickly. But hypothetically, if we were ever in a place where neither one of us is willing to compromise or to defer to the other, Randy, and if we involved staff and elders and, and everybody was divided, Randy could say, Adam, three words. Sarah, Benja, Johnny. I'd be like, you're right. I trust you. We're going with you. I'm, I was his enemy. I posed him. His kids stood up. Put me, put me to shame. Again, as I said earlier, there's always a temptation to think that our work is what will make the greatest impact. And passages like this remind us that our accomplishments and our interests won't love us back. Our family will. It's easy to think, if you're like me, it's easy to think that what we do is what makes us lovable. Again, this psalm is not putting family and work in opposition against each other, but there's this, this tension. The challenge of not trying to make a name for ourselves through our work. 
I think I've shared this story before, but a, a friend of mine who makes regular trips uh, to Israel one year was there and went to a restaurant, and there was a huge party going on. It was a bar mitzvah for a young man just turned 13. And he said at one point, this, the patriarch of the family gets up and gives a, a, a short speech, and he, and he says, looking at his great-grandson, who just celebrated his bar mitzvah, he said, now I know I'll live forever. Because this idea that his faith was passed on to his son, was passed on to his grandson, and now his great-grandson, that his name is going to continue on through their lives. Now, I do want to say briefly, I'm aware uh, that some here won't have biological children or are struggling uh, to get pregnant. And I I do want to say this psalm isn't saying that only those who have biological children can experience this blessing or happiness. The reality of the presence of the kingdom of God here and now and the fact that the church is the family of God means that anyone can, can experience this blessing or happiness. Isaiah, when he was looking ahead to the future Reality, the kingdom of God, wrote this poem. It's from Isaiah 54, verses 1 to 3. It says, Rejoice, childless one, who did not give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the sight of your tent and let your tent curtains be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your ropes and drive your tent pegs deep. For you will spread to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and inhabit the desolate cities. I don't read this to say, if this is your experience, that, hey, don't grieve. No, grieve if you need to. And I'm not trying to diminish this, but what I'm saying is that the blessing of children is true regardless of if we have them biologically or impact them spiritually. Spiritual children is a, is a real thing. I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, which is a kind of an allegory, a, a thought experiment of what could possibly happen when we die. And so um, it's told through the eyes of, of the main character who is, um, I believe, in a bus accident, dies, and has this guide, like an angel, walking along. And at one point, he sees this woman with a huge number of children around her. And, and the character asks his guide, who is this? And who, who are these kids? And, and the guide says, well, they're her, they're her children. He said, there's no way they're her children. Nobody could have that many children. And he said, no, they're the children in her neighborhood that she loved as her own, that she cared for, she, she gave snacks to, she loved, um, and she spent time with and knew them intimately. They're her children. And so some here this morning are doing the same thing as this woman. So again, children are a heritage and a reward without qualification. There's no if statements. There's no talk about vanity. Again, 
though having children is not why a person will never be put to shame when our enemies oppose us. Rather, this happens when we treat well what we treasure. We treat well what we treasure. And so if God is speaking highly of children, and we, and we want to value what God values, we'll value children. We'll treasure them. A parent or a caregiver who, who values their children and treats them well will have a lifelong, healthy relationship. Right? That's the type of relationship that leads to no shame, no shame at the city gates. You may have seen uh, this video. Uh, it, it was viral. There was a, I think it was in Massachusetts, this 90-year-old man had gotten a, a parking ticket. And so he goes to court and he has his son with him. And the judge is starting out kind of gruff, asking him what happened. And the father said, well, I didn't realize it was an illegal zone. I, I was dropping my son off for his chemo treatment. And it's, the judge says, wait, what? How old are you? The guy said, I'm 90 years old. My son, he's like 60-some years old. And so the, the judge just turns in, a, in an instant. And he says, thank you for, for taking care of your son. I'm tossing this out. We, you know, he, he, in, instead of opposing the man, he just starts affirming him in front of everybody else who's in the courtroom that morning. Because here's a man who delighted in his son, was happy to help care for him in his time of need. So what does that look like for us today? You might think that I'm going to say something about partnering with God at your work. That's a good thing. Or to say, we need to have great relationships with our kids. Also a really good thing. You may think that I'm going to tell you about the $50 handshake that Heather gave me this week to, to push serving in the children's ministry. I'm not going to mention that. Or that Nick and Lindy said, I, don't, I can go to the next youth event and I don't have to pay. I'm not going to mention that either. Rather, remember these songs, these psalms were recited and sung as they went to worship the Lord together. And I think what we ultimately need is connection to God. How are we connecting with God, and, and do we have our people? Who's our community? The, the, the people that we spend time with and who helps fill our tanks. Our small, my, the small group I'm a part of, they're my people. It's ind indispensable now. Sorry, guys. Friends, remember, God's in a good mood. He's happy to connect with you. That's our, our deepest desire. As we, as we do that, then we, we want to partner with God. We start to value more so the things that he values and to pour into those. So to close, this psalm, again, looks at the gifts of God's provision which are the, the conditional gift of work and the unconditional gift of children. These are not in opposition to one another or necessarily higher priority because both are, are spoken of highly in the Bible. Rather, we have an opportunity to partner with God 
and what he's called us to do. There's the reminder that children are a heritage and a reward from the Lord without qualification. So if uh, the band can come forward and anybody on the ministry team this morning. As we do each week, we want to have a time uh, to respond. Maybe the Lord's been uh, speaking to you this morning. Uh, Maybe something that uh, in Marianne's testimony, and Marianne, thanks again for, for sharing that with us. Um, that as she shared, that there's something connected for you. And so I'd invite you to come up to one of our um, ministry teams and ask them to pray for you. If you are wanting just a, a deeper connection with the Lord, something about that is stirred up within you, anybody on our team would love to pray for you. You know, if there's a, a desire to partner with the Lord in, in your work, or anything with uh, some relationships that you want to attend to, particularly uh, with, with children, we'd love to pray for you. If you have any other needs, our, our teams love to pray, physical, emotional, spiritual, We'll give you a moment uh, to respond. If we have any other prayer team, people who can come forward and, and pray, that'd be great. If you need to go get kids, you are released to do so. Feel free to hang out. Our band will continue playing and prayer teams available. Otherwise, have a great week.